Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and Brian Appleby-Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. In addition to being home to The Open Bell podcast, the World Trumpet Federation is quickly garnering the attention of trumpeters who are seeking a fresh perspective on playing and teaching. If you or your students are looking for helpful resources, simply go to worldtrumpetfederation.com. And Jay Landris Brass. Located in the heart of New York City at 38 West 32nd Street, Suite 908, Josh Landris has built a stellar reputation for his knowledge, expertise, and care of brass instruments. In addition to being an incredible repairman for modern instruments, his passion for antique instruments is simply unparalleled. In fact, his shop is as much museum as it is state-of-the-art repair facility. If you are a brass lover and care about your equipment, do yourself a favor and make an appointment to go see Josh and his amazing crew at J. Landris Brass. To plan your trip, go to jlandrosbrass.com and tell Josh, Bill, Brian, and Joey sent you. On second thought, you might want to reserve that bit of knowledge until after he lets you in the door. And now, here's a little about the show. We essentially have three segments, warming up, couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what tidbit of anti-Trumpet propaganda did you bring today? (laughs) Well, it'll surprise no one that I'm talking about Coronet. But actually, I'm talking about it in relation to, um, to first, Arben, I have two two things. And I would like to play something for you. And for all the um, folks who are heading back to school, and they might want to try a little um, Arben solo variations on Norma. Oh, I like that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a great one. Good call. but if you're going to do, if you're going to play variations, you should play it on cornet, of course. Um, but if you're going to play it on cornet or trumpet, you should be aware of the um, recording that Maria Callas does. And I just want to play a little bit of the opening. It's a lot slower than marked in the book, um, and I think it gives you a better idea of how the opening should go. So this is uh, Maria Callas. I'm just going to stop it there. Now, of course, listening to the Hardenberg recording is a great introduction to, to playing it. Um, but I think if you go back to a source like this, I think it's really super helpful. Um, yeah. This is Casta Diva, obviously, um, by Bellini from the opera Norma. Um, so then I have another thing, and I want you guys to um, – it's actually a question about what he's actually doing. These are two recordings of um, James Shepard, the great cornet soloist, um, actually met him and did a recording with him as conductor when I was uh, over in the UK. Um, amazing cornet player, played for 10 years principal in Black Dyke Band. Um, this first one is a recording, just a little bit of the recording of him doing Cleopatra um, by Eugene Demare. Um, and it's interesting, I'm interested in the triple tonguing and what you guys think about the triple tonguing. And then I'll play a little bit of the recording of um, Hailstorm by William Rimmer, um, also about the triple tonguing. So this is Jim Shepard. These are both on, these are on YouTube, the, the Costa Diva solo is on YouTube as well. So here's Jim Shepard, a little bit of Cleopatra. <laughs> 
So here is um, the William Rimmer solo, Hailstorm. Also some triple tuning. obviously think that's amazing playing and musicianship and style and all that stuff but my question is is he doing something different with his triple tuning than a normal person i believe at certain times like on this uh, the second example you played is what he started at the beginning where the line is triple tongued i think that's a normal standard triple tongue yeah but if you're talking about where he's doing on the same note they almost sound almost spit out that Yes, I do think he's doing something different. We've talked about this with a couple of friends before. There are people that when they get to that, it's almost for them a controlled flutter, like a yeah. spit. And I think that's exactly what he's doing on those. I think he's got it dialed in. So if I do it for this long, it's almost like it's a flutter, but it's only, it's only getting three. Like I think yeah. that's exactly what's going on. And it's incredible I think it's, a, how measure, much I think it's a measured flutter tongue is what that is. And we've heard this, not these two players live, but we've heard this approach in a live performance that we've all, mm -hmm. we were all in the room, and that's Tom. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Right. And um, we asked him about it, and he was one of the ones that said that. Yeah. Yeah, and he knows he knows Jim, of course. He knows right. Shepard. Yeah, there's clearly some influence there. Yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. But yeah, you can, I think oh. you can absolutely, especially in that second example where the line starts, you hear a very normal triple tongue line. But then when you get to those those really compressed same note triplet things, it's a it's a different kind of articulation. I think you can hear that it's not the same, you know, tataka yeah. or however you conceive of it. It's yeah. not. And I don't believe it's the same thing at all. And yeah, I'd like to I say agree. about that second recording, yet another another thing that goes on the list of really fantastic recordings destroyed by a single third trombone player. <laughs> Someone well, we, we sort was of, just uh, loaded for bear. Yes. And, and as we hopped all over the, the triple tonguing, I think we ignored the, what you started with, which is, boy, if you're playing something that's a song, go listen to a singer sing that song. Exactly. It's always, always a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she looked really cold in that video. <laughs> she seemed to, to be freezing. She was, yeah, hugging herself. Colder yeah. there than it is in the, we're here in the World Trumpet Federation studios where Joey's got the, the uh, thermostat set at like 64. I like to keep this like uh, David yes. Letterman kept the studios in New York. Exactly, it to be freezing right. in here. It's, that's where it's comfortable. Unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. I've learned I'm wearing, you know, the new uh, WTF hoodie this week, so. Nice. Got that going. It yeah. looks great. Thanks. Uh, Joey, what do you got for us? Well, I have a question for you guys. I've been thinking about, we've talked a little about equipment here and there. 
So, and we've talked, we've, we've talked about what band directors should be doing, what kids should be doing. So when is it time to get a new horn, either for a, a kid or for a professional? Like, when is that time? When do you know, you know what, maybe now is the time I should be looking for that upgrade. I, I had a beginner horn I was renting from the music store, or I've got a good horn and I'm going off to college, like, or I'm a pro and, hey, how, how do I know? Is my equipment, when is that time? When's the time to make that leap? I think this is the perfect place to bring some cycling into trumpet playing. Oh, here again. we go. It's almost the, like it's like him with the it's like Brian with the cornets, you and the cycling. It is. I can't I can't get away from it, but but there's this thing in cycling, the correct number of bicycles to own is n plus 1, which is the number you have plus one more. So I'm saying is there ever not a good time to buy a new trumpet? Well, in a, in an abstract world, uh, no, it's always a good time. But there's a, you have to live in the real world of, sure. you know, these are expensive, you know, yeah. uh, pieces of equipment. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking at what the instrument has, but what the student goals are, right? So most kids start on a beginner horn. It's really nice to move up. But I, I'm not a huge fan of intermediate trumpets, to be honest with you. Like, I think a, a good student model can kind of carry them through. And then at that point, you make a decision if this is going to be what you do and head to music school, then get that great new horn as soon as you can and buy that professional model horn then, if you're headed in to be a music major, beginning of high school. Yeah. Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, so if, if we're talking about sports equipment that we, we give young people when they're going on to the high school baseball team or softball team, don't we spend hundreds of dollars on, on new equipment and new coaching and, and summer, summer camps and all this mm -hmm. stuff? I mean, if, and they're not probably going to be professional, um, so maybe we can we can do the same for for our young people. I am also not not a huge fan of intermediate level instruments, but there are some really good intermediate level instruments. Um, I played for a long time um, a student model Besson cornet that was four hundred dollars. Um, that plays great. I mean, it's not as good as the the Prestige, but it, it played played great for everything I needed to do um, and then like if you if you have a Yamaha student model trumpet I think they reverse engineer those right they build the professional level and then they take options off to get it back to the um, the student price point. right that's the, that's the concept yeah. so that's like a really a good instrument so um, I think if, if they're having problems with pitch usually it's a pitch issue right that it's just built weird it doesn't it's not as stable um, or if things are falling apart, breaking, if they just can't handle a beating, then I think that's the time. Um, I think when you get to college, you should certainly have a, a pro-level instrument. Um, I think you're really investing, you're investing so much money to go to school, you should invest the money to, to have an instrument, or two, or N plus one. N plus one. <laughs> yeah, I, well, let me let me uh, third the idea of the intermediate instrument seems to be a weird. I'm not sure there's really a market for that, especially when you consider where the price point normally is. Because at that point, if you're looking to upgrade from a beginner horn, which I do think makes sense for where most people start, you could find a used professional horn for probably the same price point as, as, a, yeah. as a new intermediate that's in great shape. There's lots of good used. There's always a lot of good used horns on the market. But yeah, I think I think you're right. Definitely by the time you get to college, but even in high school, I think I I, might, I lean in that way. Where if you're yeah. really into it, if you're gonna you're gonna be in band and orchestra, jazz band, and do all that in high school, I think that's really a good time. But then it gets harder as you get older because one, we want as trumpet players, we want more horns. We need the different keys. But then, you know, what's the difference between like you know we love going to the ITG conference and the NTC NTC conferences and trying out all the stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So you've got a horn you're happy with, and you play a horn, and you think, "Hey, I did not need to know that." <laughs> there it <laughs> is. What I think. That's what I say. <laughs> I wish I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that makes I it mean, harder then. Yeah, it does. I, I think this is why, though, you know, in our profession, sometimes we're able to help students because we're playing a horn that's perfectly fine. Yet we're in a position where. Maybe we just want something a little different. We want to try something new so we can sell a horn to a student at a discount, discounted price to help them and give us a new toy to play with at the same time. But then you're still at N if you sell one and buy one. We are. Yeah, you're not N yeah. plus one. It's showing restraint. Mm -hmm. I, I, I also think... Week, but I've, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. I have, a, I have a friend who called me up. He's eight, in his 80s, and he practices trumpet every day. 
and he's an excellent trumpet player, an excellent musician. He is a bit of a conductor. No, he is a conductor as well. Oh, um, but he's still he's still not a bad guy. My people. And uh, he called me up. He says, I have a problem. And I said, what? And he said, I have three Mount Vernons. And he said, I feel like I need to get rid of one or two. And I said, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is that he thinks he needs to get rid of one or two. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. So he plays them all every day. And I said, I think you've reached the point in your life where you deserve them. Yeah. <laughs> just keep them all. Yeah, unless um, you just really don't want them. Why would you get rid of them? Yeah. yeah. There, there's an interesting uh, idea, too, that you know you see these students who maybe aren't headed for the music career, but who know they're going to keep playing, right? The, non, right. Uh, the active non-major. Um, I think, you know, the, the great professional used horn is a way to go. There are some other horns out there that, that are those sort of like entry-level pro horns that are great. And I, I just want to throw out there that new Shire's Q series. Have you guys seen this thing or played it? Yeah. No. Fantastic. Very, very good horns. Absolutely. Really good horn. Yeah. And are in that same, same way? price point, it's the same idea where... You know, yes, it is a student or an almost, yeah, it's a student model, not really a student model horn. It's a pro horn, but they're bringing it back from the Shire's custom stuff rather than building it up on a platform from a right. student horn. Yeah. yeah uh -huh. it's I mean, I'll tell you the first flugelhorn I ever bought, I saved up my money, worked at Disney over the summer, you know, in the All American College Orchestra, the red, white, blue tuxedo. I was yeah. looking good. So I went to Giardinelli's in New York City because that's where you would there, go. That's where you and go. I tried out all the flugelhorns and I, and I had saved up the money. I was ready. But it seemed like, at least as good as every other flugelhorn was the Yamaha student model. It was a 2310. It had the straight uh, pipes that went uh, uh -huh. horizontal, not vertical. It played great. Yeah. So I, I spent $300 on that brand new. That's how <laughs> wow. old I am. It was like, <laughs> it was like wow. I, I, and that lasted me several years. Actually, I ended up losing that, that horn, ended up getting stolen uh, out of my car uh -huh. years later. But that horn, was, it was great. Yeah. You know, and it was a student model horn. I still have and play my YFH 631. Oh, but that's Rose yeah. Brass that was like an industry standard for yeah, a, like a decade of that's like the, the go-to. New in 1981. Still have it. I still play that. Yeah. Yeah, great horns. That's what we're that's what we're playing on the now famous recording of Birds with all the ornamentation. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, love yeah. our recording of that. <laughs> yeah. That is it's a good great. recording. Yeah. Hey, uh, great question, Joey, because I know a lot of people, you know, especially now starting school, right? They're looking at, you know, I know I've, I've had students where I've told them, look, just wait until you get here and then we'll talk about horns. Yeah. Because there's so many things that go into, we, sh we should talk about this sometime. Like, what are the things you're looking for when you're buying a new horn, especially C trumpets or E flats? Like, right. oh, there's a process there. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. we should circle back to that at some point. Well, listen, no one was more surprised, no one, no one here is surprised, by last week's uh, edition of the Open Bell Mailbag, you know, right? That, that was such a booming success. Huge success. Uh, huge success, and we couldn't be happier. I, well, most of us, that is. Uh, Karen was not thrilled uh, with the oh, influx of emails. It's a lot of work for her. It's, it's a lot that, you know, but the offices were overrun. No. Well, she's, here's, she's, she's a trooper, though. Here's the problem. Uh, to say she was not happy would be an understatement. So in addition to thanking her profusely, I had to negotiate a bit. So I hope you guys don't mind. But oh. essentially, uh, she's worth it. I had to promise her, th don't be mad, three things. I told her we'd give her a raise. Okay. Yeah, that's understandable. It I mean, with, like, the, with the amazing success of, of the WTF and the Open Bell, yeah. I mean, we've got to share the wealth. Exactly. I also gave her first dibs on all the new merch that's coming in because she's the one that's like organizing all that stuff. Right, right. she's on the front line. She'll be a good be like she's like our poster yeah. child. I mean, more yeah. for the listeners later. These sweatshirts are comfortable though. I'm not even gonna. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy good, and the logo is killing. And then for some reason, she insisted on one large bottle of Burt Bio Oil every month. I didn't ask, but I thought overall <laughs> this was reasonable. <laughs> Um, and as you know, if we, if we lose Karen, we're sunk. Yeah, it's vegan, it is vegan oil. So. Yeah. It's vegan oil, yeah. yeah. It's Brian's people. So, again, thanks. Shout out to Karen because she's got this organized and censored and ready to go for us. So here you go, guys. Email number one. Right. Hey, guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. I'm curious to know what you guys uh, are watching on the streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, and Prime. Um, I know this may be a lot to answer during the show, so if it's easier, if you could just send me Joey's Hulu password, that would be great. Uh, thanks a lot. And that came from Jamie in Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> 
a terrible child. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, we, actually, I'm, I'm willing to go right in on this. You know what I've it. gotten, you know what I've gotten sucked into? Um, go ahead. I want something funny, I want something light, I want something enjoyable, and something that I had not watched when it was on originally is the show Psych, oh. which is these, these two guys, and they're, one of them is essentially pretending to be a psychic because he's hyper-observant and his father raised him to be that way. It's charming, it's funny, it's, it's light, it's enjoyable. Yeah, mm. totally. I mean, I'm, I'm totally sucked in. You give, it, you give it five trumpets. Yeah, let's give it five trumpets. Five out trumpets. of five. I'm five in. trumpets. Brian, what are, what are you watching? I'm watching Hell on Wheels. Oh, great <laughs> show. Wait, you mean right now? I'm all in. I'm all in. That's a I've great show. I've got the sound off now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic show. All in. I'm Bill, in what are you watching? I just finished Turn, Washington's oh, right. Spies. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's really good. All right. Uh, thanks, Jamie. Great question. Email number two. Here you go. I have to admit, I was a huge fan of Backboard Bingo. And I was who, really and who sorry. Isn't? And who isn't? And it is Joey. Bingo. And I was sorry to see Not it go. Bingo. Please say you'll be bringing it back at some point. And if you do, I have a great question that I hope makes the show. And I know other people would be interested in hearing. Here it goes. In what year did Brian get his United States citizenship? And does he still <laughs> hold a British passport? Thanks. Salvatore, Glassboro, New Jersey. <laughs> Okay, first off, it's, it's not bingo. But second of all, trick question, Brian is not an American citizen. <laughs> He's just pretend, he just plays one on TV. I don't exactly. think you get points for that, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dual passport, only three countries, right? When I got it, only three countries. Wow. United States, Canada, and, oh, sorry, UK, Canada, and Israel. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. There we go. What a guy. He's the man of the world. We knew that. Thanks for the question, Sal. All right, number three. Loving the podcast, guys. Please keep recording them. I couldn't help but notice that the open bell features exactly one half of the Trombomundi gang. Is it because you feel they have less to offer or perhaps nothing at all to offer to the greatness of your show? Anxiously awaiting your reply, Ryan from Roxbury, New Jersey. Well, I... This is this is clear. I mean, we should just come out and be honest about this sort of thing. I mean, J.C., uh, if you don't know the other ha half of Trump of Mundi, there, there's J.C. Dobzhilevsky, who, who speaks five languages, but That's one of them is in English. Right. So, <laughs> so he can't, he can't be on the show. So it's easy enough. Now, and, and Dr. Dr. Scott Belk, of course, is, is deep, deep buried in the, uh, the uh, Lipsler World Headquarters labs and yeah. can't get out. I mean, we can't get to him. No. And, and very unfortunately, Dr. John Marciando, he's in, he, he, he doesn't live uh, in this, um, he's not in this time area. Like, we can't get him. Yeah. It's just uh, the time difference is too bad. He it, would we just have, can't get there. In Albuquerque, he would have to get up yesterday. No, wait. Yeah, he'd have to get up a day early at 4 in the morning to make the time when we record. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, not far it's off. Not it's a lot. It's not like it's El Paso. Right. It's out there. It's just a... Right. It's out there, yes, out there, and you're out. Yeah, and I, you know, and I too would like to defend the other guy. Scott's way too busy for this. He's just got Absolutely. a lot of. Yeah. I mean, he's working in the mailroom. He's writing the slurs. He's curating the collections. It's it's a lot, and photoshopping his own face now, spending it's, a lot of yes. time doing that. Yeah. It's it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And we honestly, our budget is small, and now with the raise to Karen, we could never afford a translator for JC. That's just not. <laughs> it's just not in the budget. We yeah. tried Google Translate, but it crashed. <laughs> Every time. Well, Google doesn't understand him, so that makes it really difficult. All right, listen, we got one more. Uh, one more here. Uh, nice work on the open bell, guys. I've been with you since episode number one. And I look forward to the new episodes on Tuesdays. I really enjoyed the open bell mailbag last week. And I was wondering, um, Karen sounds really nice. Is she on Facebook or can I get an email address for her? Thanks for any information you can provide. JC from everywhere. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously, uh, we will not be sharing any kind of private information, especially uh, over this uh, airwaves where so many people are listening yeah and we will let karen obviously speak for herself 
Yeah. I mean, now Karen did edit this and put it out there, so you might be hearing from her individually, JC. You, you could only hope. <laughs> She's a wonderful woman. Absolutely. All right, guys. Now it's time for the heart of the matter. Today's topic. It's time for a couple things. The prescription for success. How's that sound, guys? Defining what specific students need to succeed often starts away from the trumpet. Building things like confidence, discipline, and vision need to happen before real and consistent success on the instrument can happen. Today, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, if we could. The, the sort of individualized prescriptions for success for students. I just have one question as the only non-doctor on the... Uh on the podcast, am I allowed to engage in prescriptions here? Um, well, yeah, Professor. You, <laughs> you're allowed. Here's, here's the way it'll work. Think of yourself as a PA, okay? <laughs> uh, you, you make a diagnosis, and then Brian or I write the prescription. We'll just write it on our pads. We'll yes. write it on our pads, and <laughs> no one go. can read the signature anyway. That makes a lot of sense. Fine. We'll mean, call it in. My, my mother, uh, she was, she's a nurse. She's a retired nurse, and I grew up knowing that doctors are idiots, and uh, you're proving that week in and week out. <laughs> Truer words were never spoken. Uh, the truth hurts. Yeah. All right, so yeah. we're talking about not just go practice. Nah, more than that. I, I yeah. really want to talk about, you know, trying to discern what a student needs, especially in terms of the elements away from the horn, right? Sure. Things that we have to and should be providing to guarantee their success. Well, that's the hard part, and that's why we teach one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because mm. for mm -hmm. every single student, it's a different combination of factors. But you've already knocked on, uh, uh, listed a few of them right up top of what's necessary to be a successful musician. Because, like, uh, let's take confidence is one I end up talking to students about a lot. Mm. So when we're talking about confidence, it's not about, and I want to draw the line very clearly, that it's confidence, not cockiness. Because we certainly see a lot of cocky trumpet players, and they do have confidence, and they can be successful. So that's where that stereotype comes from, of that just overconfident, cocky trumpet player, because they do exist. But that's not necessary. But the confidence part is necessary, because if you don't believe it, how are you going to convey that to an audience? Right. So you've got to have that part in there. And, and building that is, is really important just, I mean, into as a human being, but also obviously as a musician. And I, I want to just say, too, like I, you know, this is one of these things that I really own as the teacher because I've seen students come in and I know that musically they're prepared to play. You know, they've done all the work, but they'll come in, whether it's an ensemble audition or whatever, and just crash because the voices in their head are allowed to get in, the confidence suffers, and I'm thinking, you know, I want to own that. I didn't work on it enough. I didn't I didn't address it enough in the grand scheme of things. Um, and this confidence one is a big one because we, um, you know, we, we allow those voices to get to us. In the spring, Ashley Hall came and visited our studio via Zoom call. She does a great presentation on this and talks she's, about. She's terrific. Huge she's, friend. Yeah. She's friend amazing. of the podcast. We love Ashley. Absolutely. Yeah. And she did this, you know, these voices of fear that we allow, you know, to keep coming in. And, and I, I've, I've experienced it myself standing there and I've, I've literally heard that voice in my, in my head say, you don't deserve to be standing here <laughs> right in the middle of it. Like you, you didn't practice enough. You're not, you don't deserve this. I mean, wow. yeah. Harsh. Do you guys, do you, what is that experience for you? Have you had that? And what, what is that? What do those negative voices sound like? Well, that's the hard part is when you haven't practiced enough, you're just being honest with yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> so, it's not so, another voice. It's actually you. It's actually me. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. I just lumps that are going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's, this is going to be a rough one and you can live to fight another day. It's really what's going to happen and yeah. uh, hopefully just retool and get better for, for the next time. Yeah. That, that just happens to everybody. I, I think um, you want to, in terms of building performers, everybody's going to fold at some point. And so you, what you want to build is a student's resilience so that they're not crushed by that. Um, and it's going to be difficult, but um, I think they can learn from those experiences. Um, and that can often propel um, a lot of improvement on the other side. So I don't know, you know, if you're 
confidence is a big issue, but I think, um, you know, people used to say, you know, you just have to be confident. And I think that's, I think it's a learned thing. Like you learn through repetition, you learn through study um, that you can trust yourself to come through. The other side of that is we're all still human. So even if we've done all the work, something still might go wrong. And mm-hmm. It's um, it's important to build a little bit of toughness in our students so that when something goes wrong un- unexpectedly on a concert, um, that they're not thrown into the, a, a spiral. Um, oh, absolutely. Right. And I like the, the, that you use the term when, not if. Things mm-hmm. are going to go wrong. If no. you're going to play, like, you know, we're old and not nearly as old as Bill, but, you know, we're, uh, we're there old. There it is. So we're talking Once to undergrads. Once a week. I, I, don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think she'd mind me telling the story. One of my current undergrads, we first really met when she was in high school, and we were out at NTC, and she was playing the high school division, and so I came to watch her play, and it didn't go well. It didn't go, so I, I went out afterwards, and I said, hey, I really enjoyed your performance, and she was not happy, and she was there with, with, her, with her mother and her trumpet teacher, and then uh, I found her in the exhibits later. It was just her, so I walked over, and I said, hey, you mind if we talk for a bit? She's like, yeah, whatever. She's obviously not in a great mood. I said, so, didn't go very well, did it? No. Said, yeah, it's okay. It happens. Like that doesn't mean you're not a good trumpet player. It means that you you didn't play your best for those seven or ten minutes. I said this happens to absolutely everybody. I've I've stood up on stage and in front of thousands of people and absolutely just whiffed or cracked on a high G in a solo and thought, oh, my life is over. And it's not. <laughs> it's not. You know, yeah, right, right. It's how it goes. And we kind of had a short discussion about like, if you're gonna be a trumpet player. That means you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, you're going to have great performances, and you're going to have performances you just don't like as nearly as much. That's yeah. just the nature of it. And knowing that going in is just how it goes. And we can talk about prep and blah, 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 blah. And, and I, you know, we talked for a little bit, and she seemed to feel better, and I felt better. I wanted to talk to her about it because I watched just the crestfallen walking off stage thing. That mm. Even if you have a, a bad performance, I don't want to, I, I, it can't affect how you think of yourself as a human being and too often as musicians that's what happens we think oh my gosh i played poorly i'm a bad human i'm a bad person and all yeah. it, and then and, and there's nothing could be further from the truth so later her mother came and uh, saw me somewhere and said i don't know what you said but i think you know that thank you whatever happened i said no she's fine she's great and you know now she's she's an undergrad here and she's she's playing great but we're going to have those bad days and when so that's important when you say when things go wrong and I right. talk, that's one of the things I do talk to my students about. Not if, because how many times do students prepare and they walk into the audition, the recital, the whatever, the jury, and thinking, okay, now it's going to be perfect. And that's a terrible thought to have mm. for this reason, because as soon as you make the first mistake, you think, well, crap, now it's not perfect. And then what happens? You've let up your concentration, so you make another mistake, and then you start going, oh, no, now I screwed that up, I now I screwed that up. I call this the spiraling pit of despair because it just one mistake leads to another, to another, to another. Because I, I talk about this a lot with my students. Think about professionals. They've done something they don't like. You just don't know it. Right. Don't, sh- don't show it. They can and hide your it. your only thought and when you're talking about your focus about what you're playing is what you're about to play. Yeah. Not what you're playing right now, not what you've just played. So if you think, oh my gosh, I missed that note, you've now made a concentration error of looking backwards instead of looking forwards. You yeah. should always be looking forwards because you cannot change what has happened in the past. You can have an effect on what happens in the future. Yeah. So you're, when you're talking about that kind of confidence, and that kind of focus, and that kind of preparation, this is part that goes into that. Just this past week, we did some ensemble auditions. And one student in particular, I had really high hopes, you know, that it was going to go well. And this was her moment to really kind of shine. Um, and it, it didn't work out. The beginning of it did. And then it, it quickly started to turn. And when it turned, she let it turn. And it, I, the spiral happened right in front of us, you know. Right. Yeah. And then so I really felt terrible for her. And I'm, I'm owning my part in this and what I did or didn't do. But then I realized, I'm reminded of this um, you know, this idea that this is exactly what needed to happen for her. She needed this crash because she needs to know how to recover from this long-term and short-term, how to figure it out. Um, and so since Brian has raised a highbrow today with the Maria Callas recording, right? So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a Yorkshire poet, David White, 
Is this, in this turning into a British podcast? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my You're doing gosh. brass I'm band need, stuff. And and David White, but he uh, in this great book of his called Consolations, he talks about the word disappointment, and he says disappointment is inescapable, but uh, but necessary. It is a misunderstood mercy, and when approached properly, an agency for transformation and the hidden underground engine of trust and generosity in human life. In other words, you have to view any failure in that moment as an opportunity to turn it around and an opportunity to know how to deal with adversity, right? So we're right. going to have those things. I mean, th this, is, this is it. These things are going to happen. Um, but we need to practice, you know, making sure the voices don't get in and we need to practice, you know, keeping really great perspective on this stuff. Right. So this gets to this. As teachers, how many times have you been sitting in a room with, with a student and the student is telling you, but I can't do this, and you know they can. Mm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I've had this discussion a number of times. Of, this is very frustrating that I have more confidence in you and I know you can already do this, but you're having more doubts just from the inexperience or they haven't done it a lot before. And instilling that kind of, you've got to put it out there. You've got to, to take that chance. Uh, that's your only way of sounding, uh, of being able to succeed and sounding great is taking the chance of, of failing. And, and that taking that chance of not succeeding is the only way you can. And that's a yeah. hard one to get across. Agreed. Um, I have students who also, um, even making mistakes in the practice room makes them feel defeated and uh, and so a big uh, lesson is maybe if you sound really great in the practice room you might be practicing the wrong stuff <laughs> depending <laughs> on where you are in your preparation for your for your yes. show um, yeah. the other thing I think is imp really important to um, to teach students is that um, their best their absolute best effort is enough um, that's all we can ask of them. Um, we can only ask them to give us their best at every moment. It's also the only thing they can ask of themselves. So they have to be honest, like, am I really giving my best? A have I really applied myself? Am I really trying as hard as I can? Um, but if that answer is yes, then whatever chips may fall, that's got to be okay because you gave it your best shot. and. Mm -hmm even our best shot sometimes isn't good enough. And, and that's a frustration. I've had that discussion, especially with doctoral students that are looking for uh, either for auditions or for, for jobs, right? They're looking for jobs. And I said, if you go in there and you have a good day and you are show them this is who I am and they choose someone else, then that's just not your job. And that's all there is to it. Right. Uh -huh. Not even a better or worse, just that's not the right fit right there. Because as well as you may have played, someone might have played better. Or they may just want something different. <laughs> or want something different. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the idea of um, approaching these things that are away from the actual trumpet playing because these are the things that feed that trumpet playing every day. So, you know, right. we, have, we have students who are incredibly patient who need a, more of a sense of urgency in their practice and in their approach. Or we have students who really are go-getters who need to learn to be patient, right? Right. Th those things work that way. Discipline where somebody might perceive that they're really organized, but they're really not in terms of discipline in their practice. Right. Well, uh. this gets to the larger picture of just self-awareness as a, as a general concept. Mm -hmm. Right. This is amazingly important, not just to trumpet playing, but if we're talking about trumpet playing, the idea of knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing what your tendencies are, and then actually going after them. Right, you know, when I got when I showed up at college, one of my biggest weaknesses was multiple tonguing. Like I knew it, so I just didn't multiple tongue at all in my auditions. I chose like nothing. Right. No, so, my problem is I can multiple tongue like the wind, so I stopped single tonguing. Right. I can multiple tongue so slow you wouldn't know the difference. Right. So 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 I get to college, and now I could probably hide it fairly well, you know, if I'm getting to play lead parts in jazz band and do pick solo lit appropriately enough, I can kind of get away with it. One of my first lessons with Barbara, she says, okay, so what are your weaknesses? I'm like, well, multiple tonguing. She says, really? Hmm. Well, let's try this and try this. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I'm in the practice room, and this is one of the things, especially for music majors that are college students, they don't want to show weaknesses. So when they know other people are in the next practice room, 
they want to sound good. What Brian's right. talking about, so they want to they want to sound good, which means you're not really practicing. You're showing other people, look, I'm really good. That's not practicing. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to double tongue, trying to figure out how to triple tongue, and sounding really, really bad in those practice rooms because I really couldn't do it. But right. you've got to have that self-awareness, that overarching, what you're talking about away from the horn, the self-awareness and then the willingness to put yourself through that. And a yeah. lot of people just are not willing, one, to admit those things to, their, to themselves, and then two, to actually subject themselves to the accountability of sitting in a practice room and taking care of it. Yeah. Um, I know I've quoted Gene Corporon before, a famous wind conductor, for those of you, wow. so Joey, that British, might not know and we're that. We're going conductor. We're going you back to not, conducting. We're not helping. But this is why there are no WTF <laughs> turtlenecks, and there will ne never be. Well, about you that. You know what? Don't check uh, the invoices this week. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but so Karen can keep a secret. <laughs> Karen. Karen can keep a secret, yes. Uh, very trustworthy. Uh, so the two, two of the well, many, many takeaways from my time with Gene, but one was never practice what you can already play. Right. So the, the, and we're all guilty of it. I sound great on this. So I'm just going to keep playing it. And it, it does. There's no progress in that at all. Don't practice what you can play. And the other thing of his was don't practice it until you get it. Practice it until you can't miss it. Right. There, there's lots and, of variations of that. And that's a it, good one. And that is a good one, because if you think about the way, look, pre preparation is power, right? Like knowledge, knowledge is power. Preparation is power. You're not nervous about it. You're not nervous to go out and play. You don't lack confidence if you know for a fact that you can do it, right? If you know right. it's in your wheelhouse and you can play it, there's no need to get shook about it. So th those are two good things, I think, that really feed this. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there are still, from a performance standpoint, there are, there are people who just have a kind of a stage fright thing, even with really good preparation, just getting up in front of other people. There are other issues that go there, which comes from, I mean, all kinds of places that that could be something separate from right. just not knowing how to play. But even those things away from the horn are how well do you make friends? When you're in a crowd, do you talk to people? Can you talk to people? Okay, in studio class, you're going to stand up and announce. You know, just putting in that, that, put yourself in the position of conquering those things rather than covering them up. Right. But again, it comes back to the awareness part of it. Well, that's vital. I want to lean into this too while we're on the subject because we are ultimately we're talking about performance anxiety kind of things. This is what gets the best of us when we're out there. And um, it might come as a shock to you guys, but I'm pretty comfortable, you know, in front of people uh, and <laughs> <Really>? stuff. So, <laughs> wow, you should you should think I, about no, maybe getting I, I, in front of people <laughs> and talking, <laughs> playing some trumpet. And yeah, so you know, I don't. That has not really bothered me, but I know that I know a lot of people who do the beta blocker thing. Um, a couple of years ago, it was actually while we were on tour and I was, there was so much talk of it, I started to think like, maybe, maybe I should do this like thing. I started to get a little antsy thinking about it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Um, but what I did do for a period of time was decaffeinate myself. <laughs> I just got away from any of the stuff that would make me jittery to begin with, right? And I, so I thought if a beta, if, I, if this is my baseline, and I get cranked up to be on stage, a beta brings me back down. Well, what if I just lower the baseline, <laughs> right? I mean, even if I'm, I'm amped up a little bit, it's I mean, still not enough. Yeah, then I get dull. Wow. Well, I tried the betas and I couldn't articulate. And I, I but, I, but let's, let's talk about your theory on those for a minute, uh, if you don't mind sharing how you feel about that. I think, it, uh, like anything, if that's what works, if that's necessary and that's what works, then you should do that. That being said, I, I do think it's something that you should work, if possible, to not need. You mm -hmm. know, so if if you're at a place where without beta blockers, it's really not possible for you to show your best performance, then you should take beta blockers. Right. I, I, that's what they're for. I mean, Brian, I've seen you eat them like Skittles backstage Skittles. beforehand, <laughs> like in a bowl. Well, I think it's I think it's imp it, it is important. There are different ways to deal with nerves and, and performance anxiety and beta blockers can help with one aspect of mm -hmm. that um, when I was hosting the the trumpet guild conference in 2006 I was actually having pretty major heart palpitations just like I had recently mm. um, and I went to see a cardiologist and um, and he was like well you need to be on beta blockers and I was like well I can't really exercise on beta blockers and he's like yeah you need to be on them all the time and I was like I, I'm not doing that and then I went to my 
doctor and she said your um, adrenaline response to stress is kind of off the charts and she said you would benefit physically from being on them all the time because just daily stresses are completely messing up your system and I said I can't I can't be on them because um, it's just gonna totally mess with my exercise routines and you can't it just your heart won't respond to, to the load um, and I have a friend in New York who um, would is maybe the best horn player I've ever heard. I mean, he's just an unbelievable player and musician. Um, and he said um, he gets really nervous when he plays. And so he decided to to take them. Um, this is years ago, 20 years ago. And um, he said they didn't do anything because his reaction to performing was not physical. It was mental. He, sure. called, it, he called it roof chatter. So mm. when he goes on stage, he's talking to himself a lot. <laughs> I but, like that term. Yeah. That's really good. But he, he had no physical response, and other people have a severe physical response, but no mental problems. And so the physical response can really be helped by a, a beta right. blocker right. and can give you that's that what physical they're for. space. Yeah. Right. But it's not going to help your roof chatter because it doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good to know. And th that's kind of the thing that um, th that's how I get it, right? I don't, I don't have a strong physical reaction in that way. So maybe the betas wouldn't have worked for me anyway. And maybe decaffeinating myself didn't either. But, but what it did do was made me feel like I was starting out in a lower place. My baseline was lower. Right, and you do want to feel comfortable on stage, and, and this is where uh, Dr. Belk is actually, I've st I stole this from him. He's, when I, he said, when I talk to kids, you think about this, when does it always sound the best? It always sounds best in the rehearsals. Everybody's relaxed, everybody's loose, and everybody's playing great. So he says, I tell my bands, I want it, when we get out there, I want it just like the rehearsal. You know, because a lot of times we're aiming for, well, yeah, once we get on the performance, then it's different. And once you think it's different, then you've put all kinds of pressure that can cause both physical and mental stresses to accumulate. Right. Where really, why are you making it different? You just did all of this practice and prep and practice and practice and practice and prep. Shouldn't you then do it like that. Isn't that the idea? And I like that quite a bit. So yeah, just like the rehearsal. The rehearsal was great. I can just do that again. Yeah. I mean, that's what practice, practicing performing, we, we probably hear that a lot, but that's, that's what it is, right? I mean, practicing all the stuff that goes along with it. Um, I always thought, you know, for a student's dress rehearsal, what they should do is put on a really heavy coat, run around the auditorium or the concert hall like three times, right? And then eat some crackers and then <laughs> and then start playing. Start playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there you go. You walk out. It's the first thing. You, you kind of feel light on your feet. You have dry mouth. All those things you have to deal with. There it is. And if you know how to deal with it, then you're, you're going to feel better about it. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I think uh, this works for everything we're asking people to do just in life. Like how well prepared do you want to be when you walk in to, um, to negotiate your house? Um, how well do you want to be prepared when you go in to do your interview? Um, how do you want to react when your kids do something wrong? Um, how do you mm. want to react when you're when a teacher does something wrong and your kids are in the room? Um, and just how do you want to feel about how you go through your daily life and preparing for those things and thinking about those things? I mean, do you want to live your life every day? You get in the car and you're road raging. I mean, I do that every day, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, don't, I don't want to be doing I, that. I've ridden with you. Yeah, if people weren't true. so stupid. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my, my interview day here at IU was uh, April 1st, 2003. When they asked me, and they said April 1st, I said, okay, great. I got it. Joke's on me. So I'm not really but, uh, a finalist. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I came down and it was a typical day where it starts with like a half recital and then I work with students and then I have lunch with the committee and then I meet with the deans and then I meet with the students and then I have dinner with the committee. You know, it's like a, it's like a 12, the whole thing. 12 hour day. And I got, now I was living only two hours away. So I got in the car at the end of the day and I was on the phone talking to my wife and how did it go? And I said, okay, uh, I, I played like me and I taught like me and I think I acted like me. So uh, this is really going to be hard for me if I don't get this job because I think I presented myself like me and that's all you get to do like as we were talking about yeah. so if you get on stage and you play like you and if you're and if you're interviewing and you interview and you're like you that's all you can do the problem is most people don't and then they think oh what if i had right so they, if you get up on stage and then you make that mistake and you you go through that spiraling pit of despair then you're thinking but but in rehearsal that could have been great and then that's where that then becomes anxious and then becomes regret because you're not actually showing your preparation 
that's the hard part. You want to be able to show that preparation. That comes from both a confidence, a self-awareness, a relaxation, and preparation, all those things sort of coming together. If you can do that and then get up and boom, and then you walk off, and I'm not saying it's going to be perfect and you're going to win every job, but you'll be comfortable with what you've done, which is all you're really looking for because you can only go to your level at any given time. And, and know that in all the things that audiences, whether it's a panel, a committee hiring you, or whether it's the audience at your senior recital, those things are part of the perceived performance as well, right? If you mm -hmm. are, they, they sense all that. And so you, your job is to put on this calm, collected, you know, enjoyable form, performance. You're a great storyteller in that regard. So practicing those things are great too, because it does make a difference for the audience. So what right. you're saying about your interview recital there, Joey, is that you like the way you played it, I think. Uh, I was quite happy with how I did. <laughs> Apparently some other people did, too. Apparently was, everybody was okay, did. evidently. And here yeah. we are. Well, listen, finally we reached the portion of the program we like to call No Offense. This is where we highlight something from the trumpet kingdom that is recognized, used, and touted, yet we might not, might not make so much sense to us. So we feel it's our responsibility, no, our duty, to highlight such things to raise awareness, inform the masses, and generally start trouble. Now, I really like Joey's intro, to no offense, but really we could tie this in with our previous conversation. And here it is. Judging yourself while you play. <laughs> if you're standing on stage or while you're standing on stage, you're thinking about anything but the music, no offense, but you're doing it wrong. We've all been there. The mind wanders. We start projecting. But if that's where your head is, not so good. Projecting your own negativity on the audience, not okay. Making assumptions about what the audience is thinking, not okay. Get back into the music and practice doing it like that. Absolutely. Uh, I teach up at uh, Birch Creek up in the summer, and we play our concerts. It's uh, last week's in July almost every year. We play our concerts in a barn. It's literally an old barn. Uh, the gentleman, the Duttons, who started this camp, they turned their farm ground into a camp for musicians, and it's, it's great. And it actually sounds good in there. Now, I only tell you that because from where I sit, almost at eye level for me at the very back of the barn is where the exit sign is. And like anybody, there are times where stuff gets in your head. And you might be thinking, okay, what about, and don't well, and worry about, oh, and I should be, and I, boom, 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 boom. there's a lot of things going on. So what I have had students ask me, I will have a little thing I do where I'll like put my, my hand on my face and then just point straight out, which is just a, a note to myself, breathe and blow out. And I point, and I am thinking, I'm playing right to that exit sign. Mm -hmm. And so I've had students going, what is that thing you're doing? I'm like, oh, that's when I, when I start hearing, when I start talking to myself while I'm playing, which is the worst possible thing you can do because then you're not thinking about what you're playing. You're not in the music at that point. If you're thinking, hey, I, I got to make sure I get that, no. Or did I miss that? Was that okay? Hey, what's that over there? All of those things are terrible. The idea is what am I about to play? What's going on musically? So that's my breathe in, blow out, and it's right to that exit sign at the back of the barn. That's yeah. where you should, anything other than I'm about to make music, or this is about to sound great, and this is what I'm playing right now. Got to get it out of there. I, I was doing a trumpet shell sound performance many, many years ago, right? And I remember having the conversation with myself. This is the first time the voice said to me, you don't deserve to be standing here, right? <laughs> and then the voice said, are you transposing down a fourth or up a fifth? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> With the piccolo in my hand. That's the meanest thing you could ever think to yourself. Right. And then I got to the trill, and I was like, uh, yep, it was a fifth. <laughs> That's fantastic. And there it is, right? That's that is beautiful. might as well ask me if I'm inhaling on my backswing. Totally. That's exactly it. Well, and thinking backwards, when you're playing, you uh, there's research that says it takes a huge amount of mental energy to do that. And it takes away yes. from all the mental energy that you need. I mean, there's actually scientific proof. And so, yeah, in, you have to be mentally self-aware to know what your brain is thinking. Um, I've been doing a lot of um, meditation, and uh, I haven't missed a day in 70 days now. Um, just Are 10 you minutes doing in the 70 morning. days of practicing <laughs> your is meditation? This, is this, is yeah. this 70 straight days of medica yeah. meditation? Yes. Straight days. So you're done today or is it 100? So, no, no, I'm going to keep going. Oh, okay. I use this That's almost app 10 weeks. called uh, Headspace. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's very helpful. But I actually have had some of my students do it. And they, um, some of the students 
have no idea that that much is going on in their brain. Mm. They have no idea. There's a lot of noise. And they have, they've never sat for 10 minutes without something going into their brain, their eyes or their ears, um, some sort of experience. So just sitting there with your eyes closed, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of prompts to help people through it, but um, they just don't know. They're not self-aware of what their brain is doing. It has a life of its own. It's trying to distract you at all times. And if you, you're aware of that, you can bring it back to being, they call it being present. Yeah, right? yeah. We're all talking sure. about being in the moment. Um, and that's really important. But if you don't realize that your brain is not in the moment, it's really hard to bring it back to the moment. Yeah. Well, that's that's the value of instead of trying not to do something, setting out to do something. Yes. Right. Because Always. if you tell yourself not, I'm not going to talk to myself. I'm not going to get nervous. I'm not going to do this. Well, then ultimately, that's what's going to happen. That's exactly what you're going to do. And no matter, I mean, you could be in a performance. There could be a number of distractions going on around you. You know, a ton of people in the audience, not enough people in the audience, maybe a bass trumpet on your right. Things that are unsettling. <laughs> things that are truly unsettling. And But if you're thinking about what it is you set out to do and the story you're going to tell and how great it's going to be, that goes a long way. Uh, yeah, uh, the what to do instead of what not to do is vital. And it's absolutely something I Super use important. daily. There was a, a, a guy when I first got here as a friend of the band directors who, hey, could you come take a trumpet lesson? I said, sure. And he came up, he was an old drum corps guy and he, he played loud, he play high and he says, here's my problem. I can play right up to high A and then everything shuts off. And as he, I said, well, show me. So we were playing some scales. And as he played higher and higher, his he was like, his whole body was just pulling in. He was pulling in his, his shoulders down and his elbows in, and just crunching and crunching and crunching. Like and he compressing, could, maybe. And he could get like a he could get like a high A. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, I know what's going on here. And I said I said this to him, all right, listen, this is going to sound a little weird, but it's all about your elbows. And he says, my elbows. I said, trust me on this. Here we go. We're going to play a B flat <laughs> scale, and you're going to raise your elbows as you go up. And he said. And I demonstrated, pulled my elbows up, played up to a high B flat. And he looked at me and he's like, all right. So he tried it and he pulls his elbows and man, high B flat comes out. And he goes, okay, come on, it's not really my elbows. I said, it's not. But what you're doing is squeezing as hard as you can. You're, you have squeezed as hard as you can. And nothing, you can't squeeze any harder. So what I'm saying is don't squeeze. Right. But if I tell you don't squeeze, you're thinking about what not to do. So what I told you to do is open up rather than close. So I'm, and rather than say don't close, don't close, don't close, what I'm saying is open, open, open. You're thinking about what to do. And that's vital when we're thinking about performance because so many people are thinking, let's take the Haydn first movement. How many mm -hmm. students do we hear way out before they get there are thinking, I hope I get the E flat. Or I hope Everyone. Flat, right? They're all Which is that's why it. it's a terrible audition piece. Let's come back to that again. Don't get me angry, Joey. But you can hear it. You can hear it a line before that they're already in their heads about don't miss, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. Right. Which even if you happen to get the note at has already had a negative effect on your performance because you're not thinking about what you should be doing. You're thinking about what you shouldn't be doing. Yes. Right. It's a terrible yeah. idea. It's, you know, try it. Don't think about a red ball for the next 10 seconds. <laughs> Good luck. I always you know, use pink elephants. I use, polar bear. I use polar bears, too. Don't think <laughs> about a polar bear. For the, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's one on my head. Exactly. There's one. <laughs> they're climbing in the windows. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, this is, this is a thing to practice, right? This mindfulness yes. or awareness of what exactly are you thinking about when you're releasing a great sound, when you're playing, when you're delivering the stuff that you've worked on so much. Because if you're thinking about all these other things, you're in trouble. Safety. Absolutely. Unless you're thinking about the Open Bell podcast, in which case you're probably going to do pretty well. well that <laughs> could do nothing, nothing but help. Nothing but help. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe to whatever works for you, and please tell your friends about us. We appreciate your patronage, and so do our sponsors who have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>